Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome back to my turn in which, um, well, I'm locked out of the Google Drive folder that had the intro text Mm -hmm. before. And also I have to admit here. Oh, by the way. Yes, I know this is the part. I, Rob Zachney, am today's host. It is my turn. And I am joined by (laughs) Ricardo Contreras. Is, did, a, did an AI write this? Patrick Klepek <laughs> what was the person speaking there. Yeah. <laughs> Renata Price, you should also speak now. Hi. <laughs> we sh- I, don't, I know that the, having AI write things is a, an expired bit, but I would have been interested to see what it came up with. Or please write me a podcast intro for my <laughs> turn. I'm, I, might, I might ask that while we're doing this, though. <laughs> so here is the other thing. Back when we picked whatever our next film was going to be, I sort of just tossed off the idea of, yeah, <laughs> what if we follow up Arrival with the Bourne Legacy? And really, I was provoked by Patrick. But at the mm. time, I was still like wow. really uncertain this project was going to continue because I didn't know if we were going to continue as a team at that point. And so I sort of wrote a check that I didn't it's not that I intended to never honor that check but also <laughs> I wasn't I didn't feel in my heart that it would ever be cashed oh. and so here we are I will also say here that at the time I made this pick I felt like well one I felt like okay maybe one person here hadn't seen the born movies is it literally everyone I have seen the Bourne movies, Rob. I stand okay. in solidarity with you. I That's stand really... in solidarity with you. Wow. That's interesting. You've seen all of them. I've all the way up to Jason of... Bourne? When my stepfather bought a new sound okay. system all right. well, for now our this, television. Now this is all making a little more sense. <laughs> he made, he was like, I'm going to watch all the Bourne movies. And I was like. <laughs> they are very loud. I was like, bro, it's Saturday and these movies will be loud. So Can't I guess talk. I'm just going to sit out here. And watch the Bourne movies, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, did he marathon them? I think so, yeah. That's not the way I would prefer to watch them. No, he's a weird guy. Yeah, that is that is a very intense day. So, yeah, so at the time I thought, 
I'm pretty sure I remember the Born Legacy pretty well. I'll bet. I'll bet you don't even need to know the oh, the history of the original God trilogy. And now upon revisiting it, I do feel like there is an it, it ties in no. a lot more no. than I remembered. Rob, Rob, no. here's the trick. Here's the trick. Here's the trick. Every time they say a name like Treadstone, Blackbriar, etc., mm-hmm. just imagine a different wizard. And it'll get you right through. It'll get you right through a bunch of wizard cooking up weird little guys. Oh, sorry. Treadstone cooked up another weird little guy. We got to get rid of him. This this is true. And we'll 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 come back to that. But I I am curious. So I was sitting there like, I'm not sure if you've not seen the Bourne movies. This movie really scans. Patrick and Cotto did this movie scan. Uh, look, I love to watch a two hour pilot for uh, a, a TV show um, turned into uh, a movie, which is the vibe. Look, this movie has mm, okay, the and Jeremy I mean this, Renner promise. I mean this, you know, uh, tag complimentary. I it's been a long time since I've watched a movie with such TNT energy. Um, wow. And by and by TNT energy, I mean the kind of action movie. Yes. they don't make anymore. Broadly low stakes, um, like not a lot happens, extremely watchable, and the kind of movie you rarely would watch from start to finish. Now, what I mean by TNT energy, you could be HBO, it'd be like, what you know, the kind of thing, uh, AMC, right? Uh, movies are just playing, and they the TV is just on, and sometimes you sit down and go, all right, right. that movie. <laughs> sure and then you yeah. end up watching the last third of it and go, I did like that movie more than I remembered. And it's an era when you can't rewind. You're mm-hmm. just kind of catching it as it goes by. And that is, as someone that has no connection to any of these films, none of the, the connective tissue from the mythology and characters, eventually the movie gains enough momentum where that falls away and is not necessary to being engaged with the movie. And I feel like Ren is vibrating off to the side. I'll just get off the stage no, uh, to, to say that... Uh, that is that is where I landed with the movie and found it exceedingly pleasant is what I what I will say. <laughs> I think that 15 minute motorcycle chase at the end of the movie is exclusively designed for people to walk up and get a drink before the conclusion. Ooh, get a little sippy because you're going to be here for a minute. This is going to be a 15 minute motorcycle chase. Will much happen? No, you would not you- believe the things they cut for time. Wait, for this really? film. Oh, really? yeah, like, we'll we'll get into it. I can't find the clips. Is there a on, director's cut? There are three deleted scenes that Gilroy and uh, the other producers and the okay. second unit director are all talking about. Like, I wish we could have kept this, but they really just wanted us to get pick up the pace. So what? we could have, you know, did plots? the movie need this scene? It's a long movie. Yeah. I, 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 central I, scenes. Every single one of them is better than the motorcycle chase. But the problem <laughs> is they're very proud of the motorcycle chase because it was very hard. And I think that's the other yeah, thing is it does seemed, sort of feel like, yeah, go on, Kato. It, it seemed, the, uh, the, uh, speaking specifically about the chase, it seemed um, like, you know, a, a difficult stunt to do. And like there was only one very obvious, like, 3D moment <laughs> at the very end of it. But uh, over overall, it feels like um, having not seen the Bourne movies, I understand the tropes that came out of the Bourne movies. I feel like 
there was an action movie thing that happened that I wasn't sure where the origins were of, but I recognized. And it's, oh, it's this series. Right. This is doing all those things. And this is probably where they came from. All of the, like, just like, I, I don't know, like, the something about the, the, the pacing and the, um, the like, tightness of the camera in a lot of shots. I don't, there's, like, a lot that I feel like I saw in other movies become, like, a sort of house style that I feel like I've suddenly gotten the key for. Like, oh, it was this. This is these are the ones that made everything else look like that, huh? <laughs> you've you've never seen action choreography where a guy moves his hand quite this quick and to quite <laughs> to, to such uncertain ends. Yeah. Where's that hand move- going? <laughs> The movie does seem to so again. I don't. Uh, I'm a little like Cotton, which I picked up on uh, Born stuff through like cultural osmosis. But like the Born series is like maybe this. I don't want to stomp over something that you want maybe want to bring up later, uh, Rob. But like I know was like very influential in these sort of like like hand like holding the camera like like whipping it around sort of. Uh, what is the actual technical term for that? Like there's an actual. There's not like, it, like even the filmmakers talk, discuss, describe it, it as shaky cam. A shake, okay, shaky cam. That's what I was looking for. So shaky cam. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie rejects a lot of that. Like it is more traditionalist in that sense. And I was going into it thinking, oh, right. Like I remember like the shaky cam was very popularized by, um, uh, th- th- those films, uh, especially, and like, so I'm sure that's going to be here. And <laughs> so I was like, Gilroy's like, nah, those fuckers kept putting that into those movies Wait. I was writing. And when I get to make one, I'm not going to do it, it myself. It was worse than the other ones because it's still kind of worse. <laughs> so here, so Kato, Kato, yeah, like I think it's all over those other movies in a way that you cannot imagine. Well, and uh, I think so. I'll just lay out like a quick history here of the Born series, less about the story, but like more. I think some of this film is best understood through the lens of. The the Bourne series ends up being a really successful action film franchise that never really clicked creatively behind the scenes. So it is all based on uh, a Robert Ludlum series, and he is a potboiler writer from like the 70s. And I tried to read the Bourne Identity novel in the wake of seeing the the movie, and it is not really my bag. It's it, again, it's a 1970s pop boiler. Is this more uh, like Clancy type stuff, or like, more where, where, where would you oriented? put him in relation to Clancy? Which I feel like when people think of like mainstream military writer, Clancy is one of the names that comes to mind, and he seemed to fall like in that. Pop. So the funny thing about Clancy is Clancy is very boring. Uh, like Clancy's first novels are, you know, Jack Ryan is intelligence analyst. There are action sequences in his books, but predominantly outside of those, it is people figuring things out and analyzing intelligence and having lots of meetings in, in conference rooms, which is very much the born movies. But Ludlum is basically writing slightly more, more ground in realism, James Bond type stuff where it is characters talk a little bit and then we are off to another slam bang action sequence, uh, on the page. And so they, they basically like decide they're going to adapt this novel to film. And the director tapped for it is the director of swingers, Doug Lyman. And at the time that seemed like an odd pick because he made small indie comedies and wasn't, you know, he's not an action director. He, he gets Ludlum on board, uh, the, on board of the project, and then so he's he's going to direct a film based on the Ludlum novel. And then Tony Gilroy gets in there and is like, this novel sucks. You can't make a movie out of this. This is crap. <laughs> and so Gilroy wow. effectively rewrites it. 
and I guess this is where it all gets murky. There's different versions of this because multiple people had different fallings fallings out over the course of the series. Uh, I guess Lyman wanted to bring it back closer to the original like vision he had, like of adapting Ludlum, and he was going to hire another writer to, uh, you know, like readapt, like do basically do a second pass on it to make it a bit more like the novel. And then Matt Damon put his fingers on the scale and said, "No, no, 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 no. I wanted it to be like like." Bring back Tony's version. Tony's version is the good movie. This version, this other movie, this other movie sucks. And so right from the jump, there's this kind of like, what are we even doing here? How is all, how is all of this going to work? Uh, It's kind of a, it's a challenging shoot. And at the end of it, the movie's a hit, but Gilroy and Damon, I guess, don't have a lot of trust in Lyman and the studio was kind of impatient with him. So he gets, he gets bumped. He's off the project for the rest of the trilogy and replaced with, uh, who was then an up and coming director, Paul Greengrass and Paul Greengrass way more than Lyman really loved this, uh, called like, you could say it's like cinema verite or like documentary style, but really it's like heightened beyond that. And that is the shaky cam aesthetic. And that is those next two movies. They're huge hits. Uh, but somewhere in there, I guess Gilroy and Greengrass and Damon have a falling out. And they're done with the project. And Gilroy's handed the keys to this franchise from the studio to go and make this without Greengrass, without Damon. And listening to the commentary, it's a very good commentary track on the Blu-ray. The studio was constantly meddling. They were seeing this as like, we are going to launch a franchise on the back of this thing, but it's got to be, it's got to be very like plugged into the Bourne continuity. And so one of the briefs that he's like chafing against as he's making this film is everything has to tie back in to the Bourne ultimatum specifically. So we're just picking up from where one film leaves off and the two stories are going to interweave, which is why the first act of this film is really messy, <laughs> even though the story is very simple. The story is really straightforward. It's all the other like born shit that makes it inscrutable here at the start. Um, Edward Norton, Edward Norton plays Eric Beyer. Uh, he's a government overseer for a super spy program called Outcome. At the start of the movie, it's sibling project. Treadstone, which is the name that like all the born like assassins are like were created under Treadstone has been publicly revealed by the events of the born trilogy and buyer is quick to realize that these revelations will betray the existence of the even more illegal and twisted outcome project. So in quick succession, he and his accomplices decide to wipe out the genetically enhanced outcome agents and kill all the private sector scientists who were designing and building the drugs that enabled it. One of those agents is Jeremy Renner's Aaron Cross, and one of those scientists is Rachel Weisz's uh, Marta Shearing. Cross survives a drone strike up in Alaska with the help of some wolves. We'll get to that. And Shearing survives a mass shooting at her lab that, save for her, does kill every scientist uh, who touched the outcome project. A bit later, Cross rescues Shearing uh, when assassins show up at her house to try and finish the job, and he reveals he needs her help in acquiring the super assassin drugs he needs to continue functioning at a high level of super spydom. And so the rest of the film is them jetting off to a drug factory in Manila to go and get him a special magical dose 
of the drugs that will enable him to sort of lock in his super spy enhancements forever. And while they are there, the government assassins locate them and they send yet another super spy from a different pro- <laughs> different, <laughs> different, different program. Different this wizard. Is, but you yeah. said different this one wasn't up and different running. Unleash Larks 3. I really they like... Unleash... There's just a... On the computer screen behind him, he has a small window open, and the only thing in that window is big, bold letters that say LARKS3. Like, what is that? Is that a website? Is that an image PNG that he opened? What the fuck? I mean, but that is what was kind of happening at the time. Like, I was, go- I just Googled to see if I could get anything to come up. It was like, <sighs> Born Legacy MCU, right? So this comes four or five years into the Marvel Universe on, on the big screen, and everything is tilting towards, oh, right. Like, it can't be enough to just do sequels to things. And if the stories run out there, we'll just set up a thing where you can do all sorts of other. And like this, this movie lands squarely in there. And there's even a quote from Gilroy here where he he says, uh, oh, sorry, the point that I was making building off this from Kato is that like in uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, right? Like there's a, a moment in that film where they just pan over to a screen and there's just all sorts of other superheroes on there right it's the first reference to, to Doctor Strange yes it's that shit like it, a, a clip is just it's just Lark's 3 and that is Lark's the equivalent three. of Stephen Strange just being on a computer monitor right. like in the Winter Soldier like they're just like oh I gotta set these these breadcrumbs and, and, and Gilroy says like in this post-mortem like when he was being interviewed about Andor he says look man I tried to give them a Marvel universe with the Bourne legacy and they didn't want to take it I mean honestly that was the whole goal of that to open it up the history of Bourne is one of the most shambolic success stories of all time that would have been a great Hollywood book if someone had followed it from the very beginning. You never get everybody to tell the true story, but it just stumbled just it just stumbled towards success all the way through. With Legacy, we really tried to give them, and that was my goal, to give them a Marvel universe they could open up, but there's so much bad blood and other stuff that it didn't work for them. Yeah, I think that was the issue. Not that Lark's three was pitched as, and I quote, Treadstone without the inconsistencies. <laughs> without the emotional noise and that's the thing that's why i think that you can just kind of distill all of these programs down to just different kinds of wizard because like beyond like that one sentence it doesn't fucking matter what larks is it doesn't it's treadstone without the inconsistencies outcome without the emotional noise may as well be a wizard pill wizard pill not my problem truly is it a virus don't care that's hey. that's dr shearing's problem i'm out here is it is it called the Born because it's a virus? No, they no. came to this later. This is a no. Gilroy. God damn uh, it. <laughs> so the, the fake science in here is very good uh, in terms of like how they are doing genetic oh, modification sure. for living subjects. It's got a Crichton um, feel, right? It's like, mm. oh, it sounds good enough. Like I will swallow <laughs> this narrative pill and buy into everything oh else that God. is happening. Just as a quick, just real quick, this movie I've I've seen techno babble in movies, but if one if the Born films have one thing, it's logistics babble, and I love logistics babble. It's so good. <laughs> Keep going. Well, so just to just to wrap it, so like when they're in Manila, Lark's three finds them, chases them with a motorcycle. They crash Lark's three into a pillar, <laughs> and then they get on a boat, and they they've they've made it out. And then we sort of end on this note of, uh, it looks like these guys might get away with it. They are they are pinning all of the scandal on the one whistleblower who was trying to do the right thing in the story from the other movies, and that's where the film kind of leaves off because again, it is kind of a pilot for a longer series. Just the series doesn't get made, but I think like. 
Yeah, Kato. I thought I thought I thought the movie had like at least another half hour. I thought there was something like where I was like, yeah. where are we going? Two hours this? and fifteen minutes wasn't enough. We needed not, it to get about, to two forty five. It's not about the length. It's about narratively where they left off, where it felt like it was going, and like what that's we thought. What episode one is for Kato. Right, that's the, I mean that's the that's the TV pilot energy. It's yes, like oh right yes, okay, and then yes. I'll tune in, and like it's funny because ten years later at the. Height, uh, well, I guess now 10 years later, it's not quite the height of prestige TV, but the sort, those sorts of things, like you would see a Netflix yeah. invest that amount of money into a pilot of a television show sure. to make it seem well, like yeah. it is. At USA the same Network scale. basically okay. did yeah, yeah. with you the Treadstone series. That's right next. Right. I'm pretty sure USA was if I pressed up on the remote, I would get to USA. TNT and then I could go back and forth between the two of those, Rob. Well, this was so I feel like this was sort of a remember USA was it had that whole like blue sky thing. Do you remember this from like mid 2000s? Like it was their whole pitch from their creative director was that USA Network shows. I think it was USA. We're going to have blue skies and bright colors and it was going to be mm. upbeat. Like so this is where burn notice comes from. Right. This is where uh, I can't remember if it's leverage or white collar, but one of those shows where it's that like upbeat show monk. Yeah, monk. exactly. It's yes. gonna be cool. It's going to be cool people like with quirky gangs of characters having fun and NCIS. going on adventures. <laughs> no, that's, 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 NCIS. that's that's CBS. Please. I thought it was uh, I, that was on you. That was on USA. I am sure point, reruns it? have aired on USA okay, at okay. various points, but. <laughs> The, the point is, USA then kind of reinvents itself with Mr. Robot, where it's like, we're done with right. the blue skies. Prestige, uh, baby. Yeah, we're going prestige. And I think Treadstone was kind of meant to fall in that wheelhouse. And I just don't think it was very, like, they missed their moment. And also, I think it was kind of sounded Was there a moment, movie. though? Yeah, back when there were three Bourne movies that people really liked back in, like, the <laughs> late 2000s. No, but not- I just want... I just wonder, like, how much of those movies' momentum has anything to do with the world and has everything to do with, like, a very kinetic cinematography, like, Matt Damon being very charismatic. You know what I mean? I just wonder, like, how much actual structure was there ever to build anything out of that other than Damon beating the shit out of people and a bunch of different directors making it look really cool? So here's the thing. I think so. This is you haven't seen those movies. Mm-hmm. I think if you go back to the first movie, especially, you would find that there is a lot of action, but then there are also a lot of these moments where it's people talking in offices. And if you have to, like, if you have to pick a moment where the born identity moves from being a decent action movie to being a great one, it's actually a shootout between Matt Damon and Clive Owen. And they have this little exchange at the end of this battle. That completely like basically he encounters someone like him for the first time in the film and realizes this is somebody else who like shares similar struggles and experiences of being because of basically being like tortured and contorted into the shape of being a government assassin. And that's what I think that's where the film gets. It's like kind of like one of its real emotional hooks. And so I do think like what what Gilroy adds to that series is grounding this sort of ridiculous action in something that feels somewhat authentic and like grounded in the real world and grounded in the the machinations of the U.S. government. Uh, And the moment just kind of passes. um, And I think it's probably killed, too, because when they make Jason Bourne years later, Greengrass and Damon reunite for that and talk like wild shit about Gilroy 
and that movie's a piece of shit. Like Jason Bourne, uh, if you had to pick the moment, like Legacy underperformed, but I don't think, I think you could have built on Legacy. They just chose not to. Jason Bourne was like, we're putting the band back together, except for that hack Gilroy. And that movie is like unbearable. And at that point, it's like, everyone's like, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm good. I think I've had enough. Um, do we, you, you, you listen to commentaries, like, do we have any sense of Gilroy's personality? Like, where is the tensions? Co- like, is there any chance that he's just an extremely talented whiny crank that's hard to get along with, but makes exceptional films? Like, where do you feel like the friction in this series comes from? I think, so the impression I get in the commentary is that he is a bit self-important. And he is, but also, uh, you know, he seems to be someone who really values everyone on the picture. So, like, he he isn't trying to sell himself as the auteur who, like, did all the stuff. He's very generous, like, pointing out, like, I had nothing to do with this sequence. This is all so-and-so. But I think there is a bit of, like, he's a writer and he's one of the best known ones in Hollywood. He's probably a bit precious about his work. Uh, he does think he's a really good director, which he's correct. Like the body of work is there. And so I, I would imagine there's probably a bit of chafing with Greengrass. But, you know, it was a long running high stakes franchise where the studio looms large enough that you can kind of see like the situation where people are probably like it's designed so that people are going to come out of this not feeling great about each other. And so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't fully tell you, uh, you know, wh- where it's all coming from. But listen, listening to Gilroy, at most, he seems like somebody who every once in a while you'd roll your eyes, but not more so than like, you know, your your typical creative lead. Um, so it's 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 just kind of weird. And I, I do suspect part of the answer probably lies with the fact that, well, like for instance, there is so much conversation on the commentary track about the studio, like trying to save money on every single thing they possibly can. Like a scene would just not work. And they're like, we have to go reshoot at this location. And it's not even a particularly difficult, look, difficult location, but they'd have to go begging for the funds to go like reshoot at a pretty run of the mill location. Cause the studio didn't want to authorize that. And you can just imagine like that times a thousand across three movies. And at a certain point, like everyone is probably at the, that at the end of their tether uh, going to going back to this movie though. For me, I think what they allude to, and at least this is coming from Gilroy, the studio was determined that things were going to plug in with the original films. I think that makes this film's opening act really challenging, way more than it needs to be. Like, I watch those original movies. I don't know what Pandy Considine is doing there. Like they show they show this dude walking in they show this dude walking into a train station in England and they're like this is bad and I'm like who why who would let that man catch his train and you know we get the expo- exposition he's a guardian journalist and he's gonna oh, blow right. the lid on and then they kill him and then we have this like high stakes meeting where Edward Norton and uh, whoever Stacy Keach is playing, uh, or so, um, and and my, and I think Mark, Mark Michael Chernus uh, is is there as well, and they're they're all having this like yes. meeting where they're basically deciding we're gonna kill everyone, but it's all predicated on like, and if so and so finds out about this, if Bridgestone you know spills spills out over here, it's gonna infect everything, so we gotta kill everyone, and these are 
this should be a big moment because it is basically a group of supervillains deciding they're going to kill like 30 or 40 people overnight. But none of it, none of it is like readily readable because all of it is tied into you have to know what the hell is happening in the background of this movie because they're they're being so freaking cute about it. Yeah, I just kind of let it wash over me. I'm like, I'm sure these nouns yeah, same. meant something to someone who watched this series. But I, well, especially, <laughs> I was just like, you know, based on Rob's recommendation, it feels like they'll get past this and it'll be okay that I, this part is missing. And I was in the same <laughs> exact boat. It was like between Rob saying like, that movie's like surprisingly decent and got a bad rap on Punnett's release. And then also like having a growing admiration for like Gilroy as a creator is like, all right, like even the worst version of this movie is going to have interesting bits. And it just feels like there's so much heavy lifting happening in the early parts to justify its existence. Like Gilroy does not be, is not given the check that he's given to make this movie. And like this, these are the compromises you make to get to the movie he wants to make, which is like, I think in the center of it, <laughs> you know, right. it's like everything at the beginning yeah, and everything at the end is just sort of there because the studio needs it to, to have touched something and then connect to something. But right in the middle, like that, like a, a roughly an hour that if you just like pulled everything else out, it was like, just like watch this. Don't worry about that. You don't right. know how we got here. Is, is Oscar Isaac the start of the actual movie? Yeah, for me, yeah. showing up in the cabin, like <laughs> frankly, yes. like hard cut, co- co- you know, cold cut to a man in a in a wonderful outfit, <laughs> killed far too soon. R.I.P. Yeah, uh, like that's when the movie starts to get a little electric yes. for for me. Yes, and it, like it feels like <sighs> I don't know. It feels like one of those things where like you could have made all the connections exist without doing the exposition dump the way they did it, right? Like there is, yeah. and I believe that Gilroy could have done it too, right? Like he's Just a smart put it at the enough beginning. Writer. Give me a crawl, a crawl. Right? You I know what I mean? Even, or, like, <laughs> or like you you pepper it in as needed instead of it being a giant dump at the beginning because they keep. They can they continue to also pepper in more of the way that this is like interweaving throughout, and it's like at that point I can you know kind of like ignore the small like diversions for what like I get it this is a tie in, but apart from that it's just like it's such a big thing up front of just like this is like solid block of like oh someone really wanted you to make sure make sure you knew before. Before anyone said the word Jason, like the name Jason Bourne, before that, that that this was connected. It's all connected. It's all one big universe on planet Earth. <laughs> like, it, it, it is all connected. But the, the one thing I will say is that, like, man, I don't know if this movie actually really cares if you know what's going on. Because, like, at the end of the day, if you just assume whatever, whatever, like, political machinations that they're describing, if you just go... You know what I bet's going to happen because of that political machination? I bet they're going to send a guy to try and get one of the two people we're watching this movie about. <laughs> if you just assume that any conversation had between the CIA is going to end in someone getting got or yeah. an attempt at, get, at got getting, then like you'll be you'll be great. And you Ren, can, you this can follow is, right along. This is such a golden rule of espionage action movies, too. Because, like, ultimately, all of it just needs to sound really frantic and 
the more convoluted and impenetrable <laughs> it is, in some ways it's the it's to the to the good but, because it's like these are dark secret machinations. But I, I, I feel like Sorry, go ahead. Mm, no, please, cut I was gonna. All I was gonna say is that I feel like this movie really cares about how realistic it can be, right? It really cares about like, oh, it's gonna take them X amount of time to be on the phone to get th- these things like interoper inter inter like agency like uh like oh I need to get the actual recording from you, but I need this off- authorization. It has all this thing where it's like we ha- this part has to be really realistic, which makes me feel like I should care about the, layers. Re- the, the other it's- bureaucracy layers actually interweaving, like who. Like that, there's so much detail in that that I feel like the, this is why the details that that I don't understand feel like they should maybe be important, and I'm either missing out or they're not important, and it's kind of weird that they're there. Then I don't know. It's, it feels like there's a there's like a mismatch in like amount of uh kind of detail importance when some of the nouns are brought up and other parts of the like operation are brought up that like felt weird. This is the curse of logistics babble. Like logistics babble and techno babble kind of fall into the same camp of like eventually if you like have like uh, your central plot points get lost, right? If you have too much techno babble and you are writing a science fiction film and you have like a sci- like a plot point that revolves around like the audience understanding a a system in your world, that is going to get lost I think in the exact same way that like the logistics babble in this movie causes you to completely fucking lose what is what well, is happening? Is, I think this is the problem that I'm seeing is that some there's only some logistics bad one, and then the other logistics are like, oh, this is this seems like real logistics, <laughs> right? This, is, this just seems like, well, you have to get on the phone to call up the people who own the cameras over there and start like manually well, having people scan through shit, right? I think, yeah. So I think this is kind of a Gilroy thing. To an extent, I think if you if I had to say like, what is what what are Gilroy's stories about? They're about how organizations function and how individuals function within them. And so part of the things that he is really interested in is watching the organization work and also not work. Like where are the points of friction? And I do think it works here insofar as what I think does come through in all of this is the forces that our heroes are up against are at once extremely – what's the way to put it? They're – omnipresent they're kind of everywhere but not at once they have like a lot of limited yeah ren so the thing i was gonna say is like the the central villain of this movie right the guy who's ordering all of these hits what is what is the thing about him he doesn't really take phone calls he's always everywhere he is always in person talking to another human being Let's, let's think about like when he shows up to like let aaron know that he's about to get deployed to another location after he's already done whatever fucked up assassination he just had him do he doesn't have to be there he does not have to be there, but like the movie is trying to do something with like his omnipresence throughout every single space. He can always be right next to you, but it only matters if he is the person next to you or if he is the person in the room. Yeah, I think and I think that is kind of I think some of the, one of the things that comes through a lot of Gilroy's work. I think this is also in the Bourne trilogy is that. Partly, I think what fascinates him in this universe uh, and, and just about the subject of like the war on terror era, uh, you know, military industrial complex is that it is simultaneously like wielding almost like sci-fi levels of technology and capacity, mm-hmm. but also is still very much recognizably a world war two era bureaucracy, mm-hmm. huge numbers of middle managers 
<laughs> and turf wars happening. Tons of like working groups and, you know, like they can like there are a lot of things that they can do to extend their power everywhere, but it's also very hard for them to snap their fingers and make things happen. Buyer is one of them. Buyer's superpower is that where he goes, like you're just thinking of it as like a, like a game design almost. Yeah. Buyer is the queen, right? Like can move in any direction. And when like wherever they are, they can make that like location like work at maximum efficiency. Uh, one thing I'll say is I think I don't think you can snap and make things happen in this movie unless it's kill it. Like that's the other thing about like the Bourne movies. It feels like to me is that like the only thing you can snap and make happen is having someone assassinated. That is that is the one thing you can always Killing do. Well, quick if, as long as they're a civvy. <laughs> no, but the entire premise of this trilogy and well quadrilogy is that to get that power, they had to take three different stabs at engineering perfect assassins who they could like who could yeah. both be located in positions to deliver the killing strike and also like seamlessly blend in and then also have the psychological makeup to be 100% like reliable in that role and all of it's falling apart because that doesn't work you know the right. Bourne trilogy is that the thing like basically the MK Ultra type stuff they did to Jason Bourne malfunctions and he sort of comes back to himself and here, uh, there's a deleted scene early in the film where they discover, and I can't believe they cut this. And Gilroy is very clear on the on the commentary. The cut scenes exist in the world of the movie. These are canonical scenes. Okay, here they we just go. didn't make the final cut. All of the outcome agents we meet, all those people who are poisoned during their sort of like night of the long knives type mm. situation, all of them. We're preparing bug out bags to escape the program simultaneously uncoordinated. All of them had reached the conclusion they needed to start stockpiling fake IDs, cash, weapons and the drugs. That's such a key plot point. What are we doing? That's the <laughs> whole <for> movie. Time. <laughs> well, also, you know what? Actually, it's probably a good thing they cut that because then none of those fuckers would have been stupid enough to take that goddamn yellow pill. Like, what that's are we doing? What are that's we this don't look that, right. That that's the thing that got me. I was like, wait, they're on the blue pill right now, right? They have the brain pill. Make a connection here, maybe. They're <laughs> like, given. They're <laughs> given the sinister yellow chiclet. Yeah, don't worry and about it. And just like, I will take this. <laughs> I will take the, uh, this. This is the thing. With that scene, with the scene that you're describing that in there, I assumed that they had also been, because they, they make some offhanded mentions of, like, literal programming, like, brain programming, which is why they think, like, the one guy, the lab guy goes off, right? Is like, somebody programmed him to go through yeah, and that's, kill everyone. That, that was, that's, the, that's the connection I, I took I assumed all in the of those people yeah. were just under that, and this was just a convenient way to, mm -mm. to kill them. But if, yeah, they, if they're was... actually, <laughs> so that's the thing. That's the thing about the just to just to jump into the born lore because I was looking at the born wiki to pick up on all of this. Oh that's the thing about this program, right? Like all, part of the thing is that like these different programs oh. have like different mechanisms of control, and like right. how do you get a person to do the thing that you want them to do, right? Uh, for the for the initial Treadstone program or Born's program, uh, it is. Uh, emotional manipulation, right? It is, is breaking a human being until they do whatever you want until eventually like the psychological and like, you know, conditioning breaks and mm -hmm. then the person like loses control and suddenly you have a rogue agent on your hands. In the case of this program, the thing was, I, I believe it's implied because, you know, uh, Aaron is part of this program that it was about getting people who would depend on this medication. 
right? Like that is part of the other thing is getting people who like are fundamentally dependent on this medication, not so, just like. I oh, think Aaron's case is special. We'll get to that. Mm. But I think mm. fundamentally all of them think they will not be able to function fully without the medication. We, yeah. we get late. We learn later. They were shown like a really scary, scared straight video uh, at like, you know, the yeah. freshman orientation. Where this is your like, brain off drugs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with with the note that Aaron is like and, and one of the things that's like complicated to me about this movie and about like, you know, the previous Bourne movies are about like, you know, is Jason Bourne still a person, right? Can Jason Bourne reclaim his personhood from this organization that has stripped him of, quite literally, to borrow the movies, his identity, all of these things about himself, right? Can he take like personhood and humanity back from this organization, right? And it's like one of like the, at least in my like opinion, like the central like emotional concerns of those of those movies, right? And then the thing that makes me feel weird about the born legacy is that it is also about like, can this dude retain his humanity and his humanity is fundamentally tied to his like cognitive capacity. And, and, and like in, in like the language of the film and like, in like the, the stakes of the movie, I don't know. I don't think Tony Gilroy believes that, but like that is the movie that, that is the argument that at some points the movie is making that makes me feel a little bit weird about it in conversation with the other born movies, which are about like, reclaiming personhood as like self-determination as opposed to like a specific version of cognitive capacity um, oh yeah i mean that's that's how i to completely read the character was like i was a big dum-dum and i don't want to go back to being that person and i right. i don't know i i don't uh whether I, I don't know what tony gilroy believes or doesn't believe but I, I bought that that was a terrifying prospect for like they associate they're built like they are proud and like being Maybe not the assassins who like doesn't have enough time to like actually get into the interiority of uh, this character. But I don't know. I bought the, emo- the like whatever emotional arc that exists in this film for a movie that is not really about that stuff that that is. I don't know if you felt like you had gone through a process that had made you a better person and then that all could be ripped away from you. Like, you know, decades of having an identity and then having to go back to one that clearly they're ashamed of or, or associate with a traumatic part of their past. I mean, I, I thought that was a really, in, I, I don't know, that was like some of the like better grounding they gave the character or however it fits into the broader themes of the franchise. Yeah. I think it's very well grounded. I just don't know how it lands for me. And, and also like, you know, I'm coming from a place where like speaking personally, just for some context of my whole shit, I've been off of like several meds that I need for the last few weeks. And so like, this is coming up a little bit more in my own like head and life and the ways in which like we tie personhood and our identities to like, specifically disability and and to like the ways in which like this film like wields cognitive decline uh you know like a weapon uh well, and 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 I, and I think that's like i think it's done well right the fact that i'm like as fucked up about this as i am right now and as i was watching the movie like i think that they they you know make that emotion that emotional component land really well i just don't know where the film comes down on it so i will say because they mentioned this in the commentary mm. They allude to there was a there was something they didn't like about the the original framing, and they were happy with something they found later, uh, the in the version we we see mm-hmm. where she asks him why is it so important that you like viral out? Why is it so important to get these these med- these medications? And what he says in the film is, if I don't stay like this, 
we're not going to make it. That is his answer is I need the yeah. smarty pills because and, we are dead otherwise. And that's right. the thing. That's the thing that sells me on it. Because like, like, even if he stayed off in fucking Alaska, right? If he, if he does not have those pills and he doesn't like have those survival skills, no, he's fucked. He's completely well, fucked. And then the other bit, key bit of framing and like, this is like, I am bummed that there's not going to be like, the, there'll never be another movie like this because I think Edward Norton does so much good watching of things in this when he is revisiting, because <laughs> he clearly has a special relationship with Renner's character more so than the other agents. You know, he was handler out in the field. He seemed to like, mm-hmm. we see in their earlier encounters, he is trying to earn the guy's trust and like try to keep him like focused on the mission, but also like reach some sort of moral understanding with the man. But there's the sequence later where we see him, revisiting the guy's intake interview for joining the outcome program. And it's clearly right after this poor soldier was blown up in that IED in, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good moment for Renner where he's, he's scared that he's being asked these questions because they are a test. And it, what comes out in that sequence is he's from, he was institutionally raised. The army got him out of that. And he knows he wasn't supposed to be in the army, that his the numbers were fudged so he could meet the uh, like intellectual requirements of, of joining the service. And he now that after after this injury, he is scared that if he fails, whatever this test is, he won't be allowed to stay in. And so that's the other part of it is that like. That like the disability. Uh, like kept him isolated and trapped in a bad situation. And then the manipulation of that, the fact that the first the army waves the requirement and gives him a place and gives him relationships and, and a team effectively. And then later he's scared of that being taken away and they supplant it with the outcome program. So all of it is like tied up in this. Well, this is the only way to find like safety and security in my life is like meet the requirements to stay with these people. Um like I, I think it's 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 pretty it's it's pretty well pretty well handled. Uh and I, I sort of watched that scene of of um you know Norton revisiting that film and I kind of wonder like what's going through his head as he as he watches that. <laughs> gotta sell gotta sell the most thankless role in the whole goddamn movie. Like the in a movie that doesn't have pra- like um uh a bunch of like green screen and and like digital effects, it is the equivalent of that. For like a practical grounded movie, which like, look, we're giving you basically nothing to work with. And we just like need to bring in an actor that can sell not shit, but like you have to give like gravitas and like weight to yeah. like there's nothing going on around you. He's looking at us. He's not looking at anything. He's not looking at that video clip of Renner. Like, <laughs> he's just looking at a computer screen. And I think he does a remarkable job for a like functionary role. That doesn't have a ton of depth. It is. It is. It is almost expository in nature. It's. It's given a little bit more than that. But it is. It's a testament to Norton's ability to have a a cool looking face that, that does stuff like. Well, I'm going to read into what he thinks about this when it's just one like, of those the bigger picture. There's just yeah. like not not a whole ton going he's, on. So just to just to be clear, he's in the other movies, right? No. It, no. Well, that Kato, was my takeaway. This is he's he's conspiracy sorry, man, right? Cat. 
Uh, yeah, she needed to be moved. That's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, this news is outrageous. Wham. I'm spiking oh, no, Una in anger. My thought that he was like big new conspiracy man. This is explained. I assumed, I assumed that he was part of the original movies and he was and that was the, that no. was part of the connective no. tissue. No, dude, he's Moriarty. He's Ultron. <laughs> like like this is like, Oh my god. Like he's so he's 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 the man behind the curtain who is behind behind the man behind the curtain. Right, right. He was behind even the the original villains of every the, every I movie he was has a different the, villain. Okay. First villain is gotcha. Chris Cooper. Second is Brian Cox. Third is um. Wait, Brian Cox? Yeah. Wow, These are sick. bangers. These are great, great yeah. uh, villain actors. Good series. Not gonna lie. Anyway. <laughs> Now can I can and I tell you something that's all gonna watch. can I tell you all, something all that's gonna make you like angry? Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. hit me. So mm-hmm. he comes out of his wilderness sojourn, and Oscar Isaac is like, "You just gonna pretend you don't know I'm up here?" and drops into the movie from the tree. Yeah, yeah. that was sick. Very fun. <laughs> just jumping out of the tree. He's the guy Gilroy wanted for the runner role. Yeah. Oh, shut the fuck up. Which is infuriating. Which is infuriating because Jeremy Renner is the least cool man on the planet. I've never seen a guy. I think like I I hear what you're saying. Action stars, action stars. I don't think there's a less cool action star. (sighs) Jason currently working. Okay, currently working is different, maybe. Currently Uh, working. Sorry. Steven Steven Seagal is a bad action star. Jason Statham is an action star. Jason Siegel is Wrong the person. dude from How I yeah. Met Your Mother. I definitely, absolutely, uh-huh. my brain melded. I was thinking of um, the first one you said. I mean, Renner <laughs> has the vibe of like uh, Hollywood picks a picks an actor, and it's like ah, we think you can do these things, and like we're gonna put you in these roles. Who was the um? Was, uh, everyone's anyone see Friday Night Lights the show? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know who I'm talking I about? Do, I do. They put him in uh, the Mars, Jason of Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Carter, John Carter. John Carter of Mars. John Carter of um, Mars? Of Mars? Uh, uh, Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch was, has Jeremy Renner energy in which it is like this prototypical, like, oh, this is Hollywood's next big action star. And we're going to put him in a couple of different vehicles to try and make it work. And like... He did not connect. He had John Carter of Mars and one other one that I can't remember Battleship. off the top of my head. Battleship was also <laughs> an, another one. And now Renner managed to, like, he got on the, the Marvel train, yeah. right? Like, and was able to to, to ride that well, out. And as a perfectly fine Hawkeye. But, like, he has that same energy of, like, you're going to get a couple shots at this, even if you're being horribly miscast uh, in this. And then we're going to ship you off to, you know, do Netflix action movies whenever that stuff spun up. So the thing the thing I'll say about this is so with the way it comes through the commentary, Gilroy doesn't come out and say it, but he just said like Oscar tested extremely well for us. We really liked him for the part. <laughs> yeah. But there was just no the studio felt there was no name recognition. He was not known at the time. Oh they really wanted a known quantity God. for this. Which is true. God. Which is true. Yes, but also the thing is he popped like a minute later. Like like the thing is Gilroy had figured out who was the next big star going to be, and it's this guy. And the studio yeah. was like, I don't know, we need someone who's a star right now. And it's so interesting <laughs> to imagine. <laughs> If it is reversed, Fuck. where Oscar Isaac is uh, Aaron Cross and Jeremy Renner is just the other agent. Because here's the thing I'll say for, for Renner. It all feels like kind of a mistake where mm-hmm. 
he's really good in Hurt Locker, but Hurt Locker is not a star role in like an action star role. Like it is a it's a really intense movie. It it requires a lot of being an actual actor in it, but doesn't require like movie star charisma and presence in the way that like being a, you know, action movie star requires it. And I think like, you know, if you look at like where does Renner work well, I think it does tend to be in like roles like in the town. Right. Where he's playing like the really intense supporting character who can steal scenes, but isn't like the guy who's going to, have to hold the movie together. The weird thing is, I don't think this casting here is horrible because I think by the very nature of the character, it does kind of fit kind of the anonymous and less charismatic aspects of Renner. Mm-hmm. But I still really would have been curious if they had Oscar Isaac who could just like turn it on. What does the movie become? Uh, right. And the other thing that, that, that gets me is like, what else was coming out in 2012 in addition to the Born Legacy? The Avengers, a movie where he plays like the arguably like one of the least interesting characters in that entire cast. Uh, and like does it totally competently. He does it, does it totally fine, totally good, which is why he ends up getting his fucking Disney Plus series is because like he's totally competent at that oh specific God. role of like side guy. The Hawkeye side series is pretty guy. good. No, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk be, I'm not gonna talk shit about that. I'm not talking to you. I was, I kinda was, I'm, I was looking at you. Anyway, continue. Oh, I thought you were talking but about yes. renovations. No, I'm not talking no. about renovations. <laughs> no, also, actual yes, of course, of course everyone was talking about renovations. <laughs> well, I didn't Who is realize there was we're a like show. The Renner I, I, didn't know talking. Was, I didn't know there was a Hawkeye show. Sorry, sorry. I missed that. Hawkeye got a Hawkeye. show. Good <laughs> also, God, also, hey, did you say hot guy show? That's what Hawkeye. I heard. I listen. I don't know Hawk much about guy. <laughs> Hawk guy. Got it. Um, I was gonna say I don't know much about men, but I, but Jeremy Renner does not do much for me. Okay, so the Avengers comes out before, um, right before the Born Legacy. That's fascinating. They they come out right next to one another. Um, well, that's the other part is who produced what this whole this whole machine immediately overexposes whoever it chooses. Like mm. the Jeremy Renner moment quickly runs into the ground because he's suddenly in everything. And then people are like, I'm a little tired of Jeremy, Jeremy Renner. Somehow this logic didn't apply to Chris Pratt, which I'll never understand. But, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on from it. Uh, the thing is, he's, funny. he's funnier. He's funnier. Like you want like the like the yeah. short version. He's funnier. Yeah. Um, I think. The movie does get really interesting, though, knowing also that Oscar Isaac is playing scenes from the guy who got his job effectively. That entire sequence in the cabin where they're trying to figure out what is this other guy doing here? And now knowing that the movie's supposed to tell you that all of them, either before the scene or afterwards, that all of them are contemplating making a break for it. And each of them is trying to figure out, am I being caught mid-escape? Right. Because he's lying about his pills being gone. That entire discussion uh, over over dinner yeah. is so. What happened to your pill? Why are you here? Neither guy should be there. Neither guy is expecting to find someone there, and yet here's another outcome agent. And they both acknowledge they've never met another outcome agent. And they have this whole they have this whole exchange, and there's so there's this great beat Wait, on the commentary. I thought yeah. they did know that they were supposed to be there. What was what? Weren't they talking about him like beating a record? Like there was like so I mean, he did beat course he did yeah, he did yeah, beat the course I mean. record like and he that's that was a lie he was lying about why he beat the course record why, he's yeah, trying why he beat the course record but I was saying like I thought they knew 
that there was going to be someone there. I guess they didn't expect it to be another. Um, yeah, yes, he thought he thought he was going to a handler. He right, said, right, right. "Oh my god!" He's like talking to him. He's like, "Oh, you're a hand. You're not a handler. You're not a handler. Gotcha. gotcha right." Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, and and then right. it's a revelation that he's talking to an agent when he looks over and sees the guy's blood work. Right, and he's yeah. like, "Oh shit, that's blood work." In two days, when he's scheduled to come in, a handler would be there, and Oscar Probably. Isaac would not be there. And they both would have dodged their their supervisor, but instead right. they run into each other. But there's this great sequence. There's this great sequence in the uh, in the commentary. If you want a taste of like maybe where Gilroy needs to be checked a bit, he starts talking about how he doesn't do rehearsals. This is the first like he just like the actors are prepared for the scene. Then you want to cap, catch capture that first performance, that first magic. And he's like, you never know how these scenes are going to go, and you know you just you just let it all unfold. And then at some point, as he's getting carried away, some of the magic of improvisation and just letting it all unfold, his brother, uh, Dan, who is, I think, the editor on the film, says, yeah, actually, the first time we shot this scene, uh, Oscar just pulled out the gun and blew Jeremy Renner's head away. Uh, and we decided that wouldn't work because it just would have ended the film right there. So we had to, like, do some second we had to do some second takes. And uh, at that point, like that punctured Gilroy enough to, like, lay off the whole like I'm a theater guy and I just need to let the let the scene evolve and get back to. OK, yes, each of these scenes is shot many, many times. And uh but I do love that, the, you know, the scene ends him turning over this gun as this evidence that like, hey, man, like, I'm not going to kill you in your sleep. And I'm, I'm now trusting you that you're not going to kill me. And we will just like we'll both go our separate ways in the morning. But then if you want to know this movie, the studio is, is making that scene where he lies down in the bunk and there's all the names carved and Jason Bourne's name is carved there. Yeah. The studio oh, lost their that. mind. At how excited they were about that. They were like, that's the movie right there. That's it. That so, name carved in there. Is was that cabin in any of the other movies? No. It's just to this, imply a connection that like Jason Bourne was here. Again, that was it, it was later. such a like it was such a like Im, like important shot that I was like, and this is the reveal that oh yeah, this is that cabin from the other movie. No. Like nope. not even that. Just it's like just no checking Jason. the box to show the studio <laughs> the studio Christ. execs that like, yep, we're doing the thing. We're connecting the, the worlds up. Oh, Kato, I feel like so I feel funny. like you want someone to be right drawing like solid red lines between all of these things in these films. And I think that you have to do when coming to just like the honestly, to be honest, just like the MCU, what you want to be doing, draw a dotted line. Yep. Imagine someone making a dashed line between those two things. You're like, yeah, I can I can see a line there. Sure. Like Morse code. Like these are these these films are uh, confusing. Think, like, ah, think about something pick that's up clear on that enough one. that anyone could figure it out, but still obscure enough that it could generate an article titled Easter eggs and born legacy. You might've missed God and given to a screenwriter. It's like, so we don't know what this is, but like, Hey, here's what, here's what you have. There's a piece of wood and it's got Jason Bourne's name, name on it. it. Right. Yeah. It's a spinoff. But right, it's like, it's a special ops chain. It's a special ops training facility in Alaska. Like, but, of course, Jay, why not? You know, I'm realizing now that I've, I've learned now that, they were they're actually different programs. They're supposed to be different programs. He's yeah. not born isn't even yeah. an outcome. So, I would have just assumed no. he was like outcome one or something. Okay, bullshit. so no. the no. the original <laughs> movies, Jason Bourne, it's like they do <laughs> operant conditioning, Skinner box type shit, flashing the lights in your eyes, yeah, and basically yeah. like real brute force. It's just what is the why is why is he in the same cabin then? 
This is this because, is my question. because it's all run by the same guy. Yeah. It's run by the same weird guy. There's okay. one weird guy okay. who's like, we need to make super it just, soldier assassins. It just give, gives them each different names, but it's still the same organization. Well, essentially, they're different like, approaches. Okay. It's it's like it's a bunch of people like okay. End goal for all of this shit yeah. is we need a super soldier assassin and a bunch. He got he goes to a bunch of people and they're like, we have all these ideas for how to make a super soldier assassin. Right. And instead of funding one of them a bunch, he's like, sure, have some money. <laughs> Surely, if anyone finds out about one of these, there won't be consequences. That'd be fucking crazy. Uh, and then uh, the rest of the movies happen and people find out about one of the programs and he's like, ah, fuck, I'm associated with all this other shit. And we keep having these two. That's what the YouTube video was. It's, it's just like, we need right. a reason for all of this Which shit to be connected. Like- I think that's really funny, personally. We, there's just one video of these two idiots in a room. And so this one, like, CIA, uh, like, CIA, um... Well, Justice we gotta kill Department everyone. Dude is like, yep. Well, <laughs> which gone. to be clear, you would. <laughs> like, here's here's two guys. Here's one guy that's implicated a massive, far-reaching conspiracy, and he's like, and this guy's my collaborator. We like to meet in the dark corners and discuss dark <laughs> ideas. It's like, okay, well, that's that goose is cooked. And so we get the we get the right. the night where they're all killed by their little the pills they've been given. Uh, in this in this process, and then the next day we have that moment where it's kind of sweet. Oscar Isaac has realized I have a friend. I like not being alone. He sort of he sort of tells him, you know, you could hang out, you could stick around, and we'll go out together. And Renner Renner asks, like, well, I got to do my report and and wait for my drugs. And this is where Oscar Isaac says, don't worry about that. I've got that covered because he's sitting on a stash. He's going to split his stash, and they're going to run away. And like we don't get that because they cut the scene. Yes, but this is what he's alluding to: is the fact that hey, it, like actually we could go on the run together. Uh, that I trust you. I want to watch that movie. Hundred <laughs> percent. Wouldn't have happened. Don't, fun. Why couldn't look? You no, thought I watching. You. I understand Born. you were disappointed. <laughs> you thought watching one born was fun. Watch two of them escape together. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The moment that Oscar couldn't get that part, like rewrite the script and just get your both your boys on the run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> but you know, you had to make room for the wolf fight. You did have to make room for the wolf fight, and you also, you know, it, we couldn't have had both them on the run together because then, like, what's our what's our poor our poor little Treadstone operative going to do or, or whatever. Larks three. What's Larks three going to do? Larks three couldn't take out one guy. Come on. We can't have Larks three try and fight two guys. They could have made it's too hard for him. They could have made down. Larks three. The only thing that could take down two operatives at the same time. But then they could go around like finding like, surely there are other operatives that didn't die and they could be going this and is trying what Tony to like, Gilbert start a little wanted. rogue little network. <laughs> Yeah, Patrick, you're describing what Tony Gilroy wanted. Yeah, but he no. killed Oscar Isaac, so I already have a problem with Gilroy <laughs> to begin with. It's fair. Because you know that's the logic this movie would use. Yeah. But also, apparently, they don't see... Apparently, for this CIA director being as much of a, a murder-hungry freak as he is, or CIA dude being as much of a murder-hungry freak as he is, he sure doesn't need to see a lot of bodies. They said, we got him, and he was like, cool. <laughs> Yeah, I was no, I was no almost sure that when Edward Norton turned around after that fucking missile hit, he was gonna be like, find the body or something. Because he's, isn't he all concurrently dealing with Jason Bourne right now? Like, doesn't he already know how bad this can break? Well, the the thing is though, like, he genuinely doesn't think a dude could have taken the RFID chip <laughs> out of his you like can dig gut. It out! 
and yeah, but give it to something that could run. Like seriously, <laughs> who thought? That's a good idea. Who I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty fucking. I can't sick. pill my dog. Yeah. That's the that's the least realistic part <laughs> about that fucking thing, thing is it's the fact that the fucking the wolf dog. actually <laughs> did no no it just spits it back out yeah that's not working <laughs> that's not working they both both he and the wolf die and yeah. he's like trying to find little treats to jam the RFID <laughs> pill into yeah I well I guess the, the pill just needs to get st- like with your dog it's got to go in there with the wolf it can just be in the mouth right it just needs warm yeah, and like, wet and the RFID's happy just kind of like yeah yeah can't get yeah. it out yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you seen a dog with peanut butter? You think they get a pill out? Are you kidding me? <laughs> At the end of that, like, and so that scene segues seamlessly into probably like the showstopper scene of the movie. Wait, did we already skip the the most ridiculous transition I've seen in 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 movies? I think we did. The first time we go to the fucking lab. Oh come on, that was cool. <laughs> Uh oh! Wow, we hit a nerve. Did you see? Did you see the way Rob responded to that? <laughs> Sorry, let me pull the up. Sorry, pill pull colors. The pill colors are the, the logo. Are the colors of the logo, and we match cut. It's a match cut. cut. <laughs> That's a. It's not what a match cut is. But it matches, oh, and it cut. Oh God. God. It rhymes. It rhymes. <laughs> it was. I laughed out loud because it looked like something that I would expect on a. Actually, it makes sense. I would have expected it on like a made-for-TV movie, maybe. Yes. Like it's that straight. That same level of ridiculous. Is a small like, and they never do anything like that again. The rest of it is just all hard cuts. It's fine, whatever. But that one transition like killed me. It was so funny. And that wasn't the only person killed in connection with that lab. <laughs> Fuck. Mm. <laughs> oh. You know, like... I'm curious. I've seen the movie before, but I remember like first the first time I'd seen it, I was kind of like that scene got to me because you don't see you don't expect something like this in an action movie. I'm curious though, curious though if it lands today or if you're kind of inured to it. I'm kind of, like, how did how did you all like respond to the, uh, the mass sequence? shooting? Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think it's. I mean, you're right. Like we've seen a million of these, but I think it's shot like as far as one of these is. Like the, the sequence in when she gets in the closet and he's kind of like shooting through the glass. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was all, I thought it was like executed well. I, I don't even know that, that it. Uh, I have a ton to say about it. I was like, it's yeah, that was a good scene in the movie. But like, it's also because the actors are like, I like the principal actors in that scene so much. Um, Zelko Ivanek like is great in everything quintessential character actor mostly in television mm-hmm. is in is in some movies like this one but like broadly has it's like did i see him in the x-files yes you did like did i see him in insert yeah. you probably yeah. did like he has been in everything and he is just has he's just got that face and so i'll i'll watch that man do whatever and so he he pulls off menace really really uh well um and so that uh, that that shot certainly or uh, the sequence certainly worked for me. Yeah, it's I don't know, there's something so uh 
it kind of leaves you like part of it is just you're left wondering too was the guy always a deep cover plant was he just sitting there going through the motion each day thinking like i might have to kill all these people someday or is he an outcome agent who like doesn't know his own nature at a certain point like it was implied he wouldn't be outcome he wouldn't be outcome because he's not he's not taking the pills he's psychologically conditioned yeah it was definitely implied that 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 he was he had been like programmed in some way or another right like the what it was she says this during the uh but, the later scene of just like right she assumes i think or she feels like that it was she knows she works at the mind control assassin exactly and that <laughs> she's like mind, that looks like mind control that assassin seems, shit that smells like, seems like, like, like mind mind in the bucket of things you ever seen do. that i love lucy episode it's kind of like that <laughs> but with in the lab being killed yeah uh uh yeah it's like but it, like you you see that sequence unfold and you remember like how nerdily he exi- excited he was to get like authorization for right. his test just the day before yeah and right. you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does yeah. he like? Does he have any idea what he is, or it's it, it's just one of those? Or like, maybe he's just disappointed. Like, actually, like he was truly that excited, and then word comes down. Sorry, you got like maybe he was role playing for so long that became you. You inhabit the character. Yeah, like you you become excited <laughs> to be in this world, and then you got to put the dogs down. You know, got to give uh, these humans their their pills. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I that's uh that's one of those like logic holes that I just yeah I don't know. She's went through a traumatic. I didn't. I tried not to worry about that part yeah. too much. Like keep going, movie. Like I don't really mm-hmm. care how like we how that how or why that happened. Maybe that's left open ended so that whatever you know that is meant to be one of like many different like breadcrumbs that a future screenwriter could pick up on. I'm like oh, right. Like it doesn't all have to be pills. Like this, it could be yeah. yada yada yada. And this. This is probably this is definitely due to the fact that I this was the first one of these I've been watching. But there was also like a moment of like, does does this just get explained in a different movie that I don't know about? Like, is this something that popped up previously? That 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 it kind of made it fun to watch though, right? Kinda, because right. like I had to just and I wasn't gonna watch it with my like a Wikipedia entry open. No. I wasn't interested no, in. No. Hey, I wonder why this is the case because I feel like. Well, I think the grand, the Edward Norton of uh, Remap is going to be Rob, and at some point Rob will just make us watch the other Bourne movies. So I was like, I don't need to, I don't need, I don't need to look this up. I feel like at some point we can come up with a some sort of hook right. to actually watch the first three of those, and I can have those answered for myself. But there was something like as someone that like loves watching the MCU stuff, even if the quality's gotten kind of bizarre in the last like year and change, but, like. I'm okay with interconnected pieces, reading wikis, like getting a, you know, uh, digging down to the mythology. There was something kind of freeing of like, I know there are maybe answers out there for Mm me. I'm just going to choose to not give a fuck and try and engage solely with this film, even though it was constructed differently. It was constructed for me to like know what, where these pieces fit. Yeah. But it was actually kind of freeing to just, and I think that's part of why I end up like, you know, equating it to a, to a TNT film, which is like, because I've watched so many of those movies when I was younger where like there was so much bullshit surrounding it, but it was just for that movie. It was that was movies that movie and that's it. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it wasn't about setting up 10 sequels or spinoffs. It was just, it's, you know, I'm watching this Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie that's got its own world and its own logic and whatever gobbledygook they're giving at me is strictly just 
to make this movie make sense. Right. And so I was fine. It's kind of fun to just let that stuff just whiz by me, take in what I wanted, take it or leave it, and then like I can try and fill in the blanks later, knowing that there are other films, and I can have like a, a like a boomerang moment of like, oh, that's why that's why they did the thing in that one. But I, like something I do <clears throat> that I, that I do dig about this this sequence is just this idea of. You know, in some ways, like the the Bourne movies is like, oh, man, what if people found out the government was doing assassinations? And it's like, yeah, no shit. Like, no, like <laughs> we found that out multiple times in the past. And and yet uh, here we are but to their own citizens, Rob. Well, but th- th- this taps into this notion of like there are uniquely American forms of like horror that like. That are already sort of normalized in some way, like mm-hmm. that the, they are normalized, right? Like this is, you know, mass shootings are entirely normalized. They they barely they barely make like you know major news now. Like they get covered nationally, but uh, you know the the world just keeps moving. And this this notion, this film, sort of tapping into this idea of yeah, and then this like an, an agency here is sort of like instrumentalizing the fact that this is a country and a society where like massive numbers of people can just like randomly be killed by a stranger or a coworker. Mm-hmm. And we're all like, yep, that tracks. That's pretty normal. All right. Yep. No further questions. And here we have this idea of like, Oh, they're taking, they're, they're taking advantage of the opportunity of just like the, the everyday nightmare of American life to conduct, not assassinations, mass murders with like specific targets. Uh, and like disguising it as just a everyday like normal normal occurrence. I mm-hmm. like the I, I like the, the 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 particular vein of uh you know horror that is ta- that it is tapping into, and I think it builds on it smartly with the following sequence, which is oh the the, the cops and the police social worker are here to help me navigate <laughs> the situation, <laughs> and immediately it's accusatory. The entire the entire sequence where they come to her home from the jump, it is like they're trying to convict her of the mass shooting just for being there. And it's this really uncomfortable sequence as she's trying to figure out, like, this is such a weird conversation from someone being like, I'm a therapist. I'm a counselor here. I'm just here to ask you a few questions to help. And and everything has this like bizarre vibe to it. That she picks on immediately, picks up on immediately. Yeah, you have a really interesting security clearance. You have a really, you have a really interesting <laughs> security clearance. That's cool for you. And like, you know, it's not. I think that the the thing is that like for every from like a viewer's perspective, it's really easy to be like, this is very silly. This it's obvious that these two things are connected because like we have all the information. But I actually think that like the character work in this movie is like pretty solid. Uh, and like, you know, people do make do do generally do decisions that like make sense, uh, which is like, you know, it's 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 solid. I I particular I, I like this movie. I enjoyed watching this movie. Um, that is that is one thing I will note as we as we continue this podcast is that it, regardless of any criticisms I did, I did enjoy watching the I did like it when the Born Legacy happened to me. Well, and that that little sequence in particular, if anything, and I I don't know, maybe Rob, this comes up in the commentary, I. Is the is the action movie part of this perfunctory in here because that is required for a movie that actually wants to be about like American government bureaucracy? Like the movie wants to be more about these people in the offices and like Renner's stuff is here because well, that's what these movies are. Because every time we would go to those moments where it's just talky talky 
and it's a lot of bullshit, but it's shot well with great, like great actors. And I just wanted to spend more time in that. Like, I want six more of those interview sequences where they're like bullying this this poor scientist. Now, well, granted, the scientists sort of knew what they were. Up, so not, I'm not completely exonerating their part, but like all that stuff, like that sequence, for example, is this great interview and then a totally fine action sequence that takes place in the house. But the whole time I'm I'm pulled into those moments. And it feels like the movie is pulled to those moments, but is a movie at the end of the day at odds with itself because it it cannot square like these two things, which is like it wants to be a movie of people talking in rooms with one another, and it's gotta have some action stuff. The action stuff is fine. You know what I mean? It's 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 there. But it and it's better feel than there. like when Jeremy Renner comes through that door. The, the air went out of the, scene. the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not, like I don't, I, I don't know. Like, yes, like there are better action. There are better action uh, actors. You know, uh, better choreography that can sell that stuff. But I don't know how much that fundamentally changes the core tension at the heart of the film, which is that well, that stuff's there because I I can feel the studio breathing down my neck that I need to make an action movie. So how do I get this sequence that I feel? Is that, you know, speaking from like Gilroy's perspective, like at the, like what this movie wants to say. And then, then how do I connect that to uh, a beat em up? Well, sorry, Rob, I just want to check in as, as the resident of Andor expert on this, yeah. on this podcast. This is the thing. This is the strength of Andor, right? Like this is, this is like one of the strengths of Andor is like people in rooms is that it's like capacity for people in room conversations. This is also like, you know, I saw Rogue One many, many years ago, but like this was also the strength that I think this is just what Tony Gilroy is good at. And he, the only problem is that like the person in room thriller has fundamentally become tied to the action genre. And in, in, in a lot of like modern blockbuster films, like there is no way to separate the person in room drama. He might've made the last great one in Michael Clayton. Like he might have made the last great one of those with that movie where that is like no, there is no action sequence and that is just people in rooms. But I think you make a good point. Like I do think the depiction of organizations and like, yeah, organizations and and, and relationship dynamics is the strength of Andor. The other big notable thing about Andor is he didn't direct a bunch of it. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to, but because of COVID, you know, he ends up handing off a lot of the directorial duties to other directors. And you are left kind of wondering, like, were those better hands? Now, I believe he did basically shoot most of the battle sequences in Rogue One, which are pretty good. Like, I think he's probably gotten much better at mm-hmm. being an action director than maybe he was at this point. But I do think I think there is something. I think it's tough that some of these some of these things are much better conceived before the action stuff kicks off. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone who can come through the door and save the day as they're like trying to arrange her stage suicide. I don't think there's any action resolution to that sequence that is going to match the intensity of what we just saw unfold. Right? The you know guy comes through the door and saves the day. That's just not going to match the moment where. What are you doing? They sort of like are holding her down the chair and you realize they are just resting her into a position to stage a killing. Well, this is also the this is the 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 theater problem. Yeah. Right. Like uh, what what are what are traditional plays? It's about a bunch of people talking in a bunch of rooms. Yeah. And like it's now that you've said like this, the, the, the background of the theater, so much more of like the weirder stylistic stuff and like pacing things in this movie makes so much more sense where it's like, OK, cool. 
you know, this they they've taken like a a a kind of theater guy who's obsessed with bureaucracy and systems, and you know, he has through circumstance and through like being competent but not truly terrific has like managed to like create a solid directorial career for action films because he's fine at actions. He's good enough at action films to have built a career doing it while also quietly like being like a a, a pretty solid person in room guy. Uh, and action is made cooler by good context, which I think yeah, is the other strength yeah. is like, you know, an action sequence doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, vintage John Woo to land if the setup for it is good enough. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the stakes feel good. But yeah, I, I do think, Patrick, like, like you are, you're right. Like, I think there's a huge part of this that the movie's more interested in these conversations, these little stage plays. And then occasionally it's like, well, it's been a while since we've seen anyone uh, just get their arms broken or <laughs> like shot in the head. So we should probably have one of those moments. Now I do think this is probably one of the stronger, maybe the strongest action sequence in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wild thing that like, I didn't realize they lost that location early on. It's this house in Hudson, New York, and it's a historical house. And then they were told you can't shoot there anymore. Um, and so every time they're going to a window, all the fights around the house, that's like five different locations. And all the interior shots are people like looking out windows at green screens. Um, oh, that's the, very the, funny. The, in, <laughs> the entire house is sort of a fake construct, except for like the furthest establishing shots. See, that's um, good use of green screen, right? Like that is yeah. that is visual effects doing doing their job, putting you in a place, even though it's trickery. Well, they said there was a rule they had on the film, which was that there are no shots that are allowed that a camera could not have done. Right. So mm. this idea of you don't do any perspectives where there's just no way you could have you could have gotten that shot except through like uh, computer like CGI, right. and I think that's not a bad rule. Like even the shots that are like. It's not actually a helicopter shot, but it needs to look like a helicopter shot because otherwise, uh, you know, it doesn't fit the aesthetic of the film. Um, they did try to get helicopter shots for a bunch of stuff, but blizzards happened. Um, we get, you know, we, we get their escape. Um, oh, by the way, the the trick he does with hitting the guy with the nail fire by the fire extinguisher. This is why you need like cool prop masters to, to help yeah. you out with this stuff. <laughs> He was like, oh, yeah, my friends and I used to do this as kids. We learned you could fire a nail into a brick wall at 60 feet uh, by doing this exact thing. <laughs> and that sort of unlocked the scene of like, well, how's he supposed to get the better of this guy in the basement? Well, she's got all the shit around, so she'd have a fire extinguisher. So he has a gun, a single yeah. shot weapon that he can use on this guy. I thought he was going to Anton Sugar some guy. Like that's what I was expecting. Like, right. I mean, he effectively <laughs> did. Like that I was, that was the... he didn't do it as effectively. No, but yeah. like <laughs> that is what he was that is what he was aiming for. And like, you know, listen. Shout out to prop masters. Shout out to all those little freaks yeah. who were just real nightmares until they learned <laughs> that they could apply it to film sets and suddenly became <laughs> s- s- some of the most competent artists in the industry. Uh you know, after after they make their escape, we do get the first big scene with them, which is kind of um, where we are sort of or she is forced to reckon with the fact that she's been working in the super spy assassin lab for a while. And all these bad things that have happened to her, while very upsetting to a degree, it's all shit that happens to you when you were working in the super spy assassination <laughs> lab. And he sort of asked that question of like, 
where like what did you think we did what do you think we were for what do you think that lab was and it's very clear she knows they were all up to bad shit she knows they were they were up to no good we get that flashback of you know her examining him once upon a time but she couldn't publish but she couldn't publish and also i think part of the thing is that like you know one of the strengths is 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 when the guy goes, we are the sin eaters. God, what a good fucking weird oh, monologue. What a good weird <laughs> monologue. Um, however, setting the sin eaters aside for a second, like one of the things that I think is is part of like the Born movies, at least from my memory of them, like reads on people is that like the average human being is simply incapable of conceptualizing what these characters do regularly. Like like your brain cannot even like wrap its like wrap itself around the idea of what is just like a normal act of a a low level act of violence for these characters and for these institutions Uh, right that's actually not a thing not for these characters for these institutions the basic level of violence for these institutions is so much greater than anything you can comprehend that like kind of like takes it a step honestly this is kind of what makes it like possible to be an mcu style thing is that there's a degree of like the base level of violence is so exaggerated and like the institutions do is so like beyond the pale for people to conceptualize that it steps it into this like fantastical action movie territory and like you have this fantastical action movie character trying to talk about their violence to a regular human or a mostly regular but ultimately complicit human being and i think that like that is like a really cool thing in that scene yeah, it's the fact that she's sort of being cornered into recognizing that like she's de- yeah, she's deeply complicit in all of this and all of all of what's happening is just the things she's sort of helped set loose in the world coming back on her, right? Like like the sheer number of staged murders that like, you know, assassinations that have happened that she's facilitated and now it's happening to her. Right. Um the yeah, guy is in front of her. The guy is in front of her and she has to watch him do it. Like, he kills a lot of guards in front of her. And also, like, I, I think a lot about the scene where he explains to her. I've been thinking a lot about the scene where he explains to her how he started doing this. And that feels like a real, like, wake-up moment for, for her as a character. Is like, oh, cool. The pill is a weapon, too. Right? Yeah. Like, the, the, the pill, like, it's not just that, like, we make pills for guns. We, we, we are not, like, making tools for people who are guns. We are making guns, right? The, the only way that this dude functions like this is because of me. I'm not making him stronger. I'm making him exist and have to do this. Yeah. It's, uh... The, the thing is, like, I, I feel like it is right around here the movie begins losing some of the wind from its sails. Like, I think mm-hmm. them on the run, like the motel conversation where he reveals where he's from in his background... That's all good. We get to Manila. We get to the pill factory, uh, which it, the interior shots, the New York Times distro center in Queens. Uh, that <laughs> whole factory there in nice. is the New York Times uh, distri- distribution center because it's the only one they could find that looked right for what they had in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the stuff shot in the in, in the Philippines, um, you know, they, they talk about they had their pick of great. Uh, Filipino actors uh, so at like every guy at the security checkpoint is like a major Philippine like star in the Philippines uh, it's just like a murderer's row of uh, casting <laughs> of like uh, like it's act- like watching actors. a Marvel movie it's like oh and then he's here yeah except not, none of us know who these people are 
uh, the security guards he he fights when they finally realize that he's there to get injected with the like permanent uh like you know virus adaptation to to get him to hold on to his uh intelli- his cognitive boosters uh, all of those guys are like you know stuntmen and stunt coordinators and the guy who gets his ass kicked first is the, also the guy who designed the fight and so we get stuff like that. And I think, by the way, it's in that sequence where I think we get some explanation of why directors did like Gilroy for stuff like this. Renner explains, and I'm wondering if this is a little shot at Matt Damon. They were surprised making this film that they didn't have to undercrank uh, the film when shooting Renner doing this stuff because he's actually very, very fast. And I kind of wonder, does that imply that there is a lot of making people look fast who were not in the (laughs) earlier films? And then Jeremy Renner is the type of guy who it's like, you are going to do this. I am going to show you and can actually like do it pretty competently. Mm -hmm. And so there was a bit of he may not have like the charisma of an action star, but he does have some of that like Tom Cruise in like. Yeah, I want to do the thing. Like, show me how to do the thing and I'll do it. Uh, Most of the motorcycle chase is him on the bike. Uh, And apparently, like, there's a lot of stuff they were doing that, like, uh, Rachel Weisz was kind of initially leery of. But just him being around there and being like, oh, no, you can throw me off this six foot drop. I'll just I'll just jump off this this tree. I'll just jump (laughs) off this bridge. She starts being like, I guess it's not so bad. I'll, I'll do it, too. And so you do start getting more of the stars being willing to be like, yep, me too. Sign me up for the bodily harm uh, oh package. Gosh. It'll it'll really sell this moment. They, uh, so that is a that is a bit of the program you get with Renner at this stage, I guess. Did they mention whether or not that was actually him jumping up the to the second story during the house scene? Uh, the whole shot is digital effects in okay. some ways because. So the exterior, the exterior. So there are there are wires that they are using to get people like jumping around. There are a lot of like wires connected to people that are helping them like scale and jump and fall. Uh, And then once he gets up to the top, at some point there's a hidden edit because he is going into a set hidden. Uh, the the sh- you mean the shine the the, the big glow I, this is what I was wondering whether or not it was uh it was him and they were hiding an edit of getting a stunt double out or if it was something else that was being hidden but <laughs> yeah I don't know if he if that's him for the whole shot but there is kind of a moment where it's like and now we're in we're revving an effect and we are into yeah, a digital into space a, yeah yeah <laughs> uh but yeah like I feel like especially once he takes the shot and he has the final like um you know fever fever dream of of his past mm-hmm. and we we set up for the activation of lark <laughs> the activation of larks larks <laughs> i feel like at that point the movie is yeah. out of steam i yeah. tuned out i i i it was i was in uh i was in uh oh i i'm starting to look at my phone Whoa. like no no yeah. re-engage re-engage like there's nothing uh, to engage with. There's nothing to engage with. The Lark's with. chase I, is so bad. The Lark's chase is so long. Well, it's, mostly, it's, it's long. I don't know that it's bad it's as much bad. as it's long. It's and bad. so that, like, it, there is not much propelling the movie narratively at this point. There is now, uh, there's no emotions guiding the motorcycle chase. And it's also not exciting on its fit. Like, it, like, when you watch, right, like the modern Mission Impossible movies, right? Like, whatever you feel about the narratives, like, I know I am seeing something 
I haven't seen before. And you don't, not every action sequence has to match. Like we are trying to do something that's never been done, but just like that, that's part of what that, that scene is missing is any sort of emotional propulsion or uh, uh, like physical propulsion, like in terms Mm -hmm. of what you're watching these people do. It's neat that Jeremy Renner actually performed a bunch of that stuff. I did not. There are times when that is additive to a scene. You can you can feel the physicality of a of the of the. You know that it's not. You can kind of sense that it's not all like when you watch the John Wick films, right? Like I know he's working in conjunction with a stunt actor, but man, I see his fucking face often enough that it really grounds you in the scene. Like you don't get anything out of that here. Like it, maybe because I've seen so much digital trickery that I just sort of like assume a lot of that is happening, which which then hurts scenes where you have actors really trying to do the work to like sell it because like they're and so i don't basically i think we're kind of all roughly in the same place we're like it's just not that interesting and i can sit and dissect and pick it apart of like different reasons for why it doesn't work but it doesn't work it's boring the movie is just sort of like getting to its end and there's just unfortunately another 20 minutes before you you get to the final sequence i every oh please cut out i was just gonna ask did did I miss? It's entirely possible that I missed something at some point where the guy drops a gun. But at the, a certain point, he's chasing them in a police car and has a gun. Yeah, Lorax does, and then he gets onto a motorcycle and he starts like the, then that sequence starts, and it feels like he just forgets he has a gun or dropped the gun, and I missed it because there are definitely shots where they're like lined up. And it's like okay, now you can take your shot. My guy, you were having trouble because there were cars in between you before. What happened to the? It's just Cotto well, would simply God. have no scope. Jeremy <laughs> Renner uh, from inside his movie. Well, no, no, he vehicles. was even he was simply trying no from such a Jeremy such Renner. a distance where, like, once he was on the bike and they were like lined up, looking down the 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 column between two cars. He didn't even like attempt to. It's like, did I miss him dropping the gun or something? Does he just like, or is that just like we're forgetting that that existed? <laughs> so I, I will say he fires a bunch of shots. He does from inside the police car and from on the bike at first. He eventually does manage to hit Jeremy Renner. But one thing I will say is, Cotto, I want you to imagine for a sec. I don't know. How, have you ridden a bike? Yeah. Wait, wait, like a motorcycle? No, like a bike. Like a, bike. Like a bicycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Now try to reload a handgun on the back of a bike Easy. at 80 miles an hour Easy. in traffic. Done. No, I don't, I'm, I'm not even. I'm not even a basket. You don't even not have a basket. You can you can balance on the bike. You can use both like that. I don't. I don't so actually know I, that that's like, how I micro. Think, my, I don't know that's actually how um, motorcycles I, work. I but on a bike, you could do that because you can kind of like control uh, how you balance. Your hands are pretty important, unfortunately, hands on a bike. Pretty important, <laughs> sadly, yeah. But, I can ride a bike with no handlebars. Um, no, no, Kato, a, a, a motorcycle. <laughs> the physics are yeah, slightly yeah, yeah. different. The, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. The but yeah, like I, I just think ultimately what what's happening in the scene. They're driving the dock where the boats are so they can get a boat and leave the movie. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's it. They need to get to a place. Like, they need to get to safety. And this guy's the last sort of obstacle standing in their way. And he's just not. Oh. I don't. How, how are they found? How did they get found? Who found them? The that local? dude shows up at the end after they, after they crash. And he's like, no. are you guys okay? Who? No, no, no. I what? mean the police. No. How did the, the police, police find them? Because they did you not see the set like there was like 15 minutes of them cutting back to a, a command room where every single one of their movements is being put together. But they in the city, 
The, what, the, Here's it, the thing. No, no, it doesn't matter that they're in the city because once they get to the city, once they get to the city, they know where they're going. There is only one place where they would be going. It's that one. Uh, it's that one, like facility. They go to the facility. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. get caught at the facility. Right, but then right? they leave and they escape into the city. They can't go far, Kato. That's so, the thing. Is this, this is why we get all the scenes. Far. What's their process? They can pull every CCTV that basically exists in the world. They can track anyone, but they need they need breadcrumbs. I think the thing that is it made this confusing is that he Larks does not seem to be in con in in tandem with the, the local authorities. So it made it feel like the local authorities were put onto something on their own. And that's why these two it's like he's trying to race the cops to, to get to Jeremy Renner. It's just a it felt off. It's like I know right. I, I get that they could yeah. have just been like okay, and now we're gonna tell the local police as well as Larks where That's they're true, at because the police but are trying looks, to arrest them. Exactly, it looks Larks like Larks kill them. It looks like Larks is following the police to get to them. It's like so, but then how did the local police even find them? The police were called. The police were told because a thing that we get is a is a shot where we get uh, the CIA dude and he goes, the police are giving up. Or, or something along those lines. Right. He's like, they're out, right? He's like, the, the police are out. Yeah. Like they Effectively, it, it suggests to me that a call was made by someone off screen to go, hey, cops, we want you to do this thing. And then like six of their guys got killed and they were like, cool, <laughs> later. Not our fucking problem. So uh, I, think, I think part of it too is I don't know that Larks needed to be presented as like the big antagonist of the film but the fact that we never get his t-1000 moment we yeah. never actually see him do like he has he's, he's never he has scary absolutely he, no just, he just gets he's kicked off a, a bike machine. by yeah. a normie and, and dies yeah she just whips her helmet off and beats his ass with it and we he's like well time corpse. to die we don't even see his core. What happens is he falls off the bike and he like wiggles in the air a little bit and then he's gone. He has <laughs> left the film. So he's Tony Gilroy's just like, and I've and run out of ideas for this out. character. It's- Goodbye. <laughs> he needed he needed to be scary. You needed to have a sequence where he is shown to somehow be scary or superior yeah. to Renner. Like he yeah. needed to be your um uh what's the dude from Rocky Four? Uh Drago? Mm-hmm. Uh, you needed that moment. Even if it like, didn't happen to Renner, right? Like, could yeah. cut to some other if scene where... he killed where... a bunch of cops, just being right. in his way, like Terminator style. Well, right. he did. Yeah, but like... He if killed we... one guy. One or yeah, two. Yeah, but like, it, like, imagine if he... Imagine if the SWAT team gets murked by him so he can get the kill on Renner to make sure, make sure nobody answers questions. That's cool. That's a... That's a that's what I call a Lark's 3 moment. <laughs> The, and, and again, I think this is the, like the, the film's pacing again, like falls apart because it's it's trying to be a people in a room movie and an action yeah. movie at the same time. And like, if it's a straight action movie, we have time for our good friend Larks to become a scary villain. But like, already they cut too much of the people talking in rooms for the film to even like read to half of the audience. Gilroy and the people in the commentary mentioned there's this thing. This is just this dynamic with the studios of they're so focused on runtime that. Uh, I, I don't think it's Gilroy says this. I think it's um like his it might be his uh like uh AD, but basically that every scene is presumed guilty until proven innocent as far as its necessity to the picture. And that seems like such a grating and annoying way to like make a film where at every moment someone's like, Does this need to be there? 
And the answer is no. Like, do most of these scenes need to be here? No. It's it's how you tell the story that 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 makes it. But it's not the value the studio like sees. They're just concerned that like for every minute we go over two hours, uh, you know, this movie gets less popular. And I'm not even sure that's true. People love long ass movies. They don't. I, like, right. But there is a, there's actually, I mean, there's like logistical considerations in terms of how many times you can run it during the day. Yeah. Right. So the moment you get past, I don't know what the cutoff is, but essentially like at a certain point past two hours, you are, there are tickets you cannot sell because you cannot put butts in seats. So that's, that's some of the consideration there. What about, uh, I mean, Patrick, now I'm curious, do you know what, like how this ties into like, because this was released in 2012 before like streaming really like mm. booms, booms. What is the like, send it because you were talking about how this feels like a, 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 a TV action movie. Do you know what like the if how the like film and commercial timings like interact with runtime? Do you have do you, do you have any insight on that? Uh, no, like the, 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 the long and the long and short I know is like, you know, longer movie play less is, is about as much as I know, but I, uh, I, I don't know how that, um, too much, uh, too much beyond that. I, I, but it, to me, it just feels like the, the things they leave here, the things they don't have time to establish, I think is, is kind of contributes to why this film like, it's if they were gonna, it's already too long, right? If you're just making sort of like a tight action flick. That's, that ties into the Bourne movies. Two hours and 15 minutes is already too long. So if you're going to do that, go the full nine yards and make it like two hours and 35, two hours and 40. It should have either been so much shorter, like an hour 40 with uh, mm-hmm. would just rip out a bunch of that stuff um, or or just let it be like, like fully breathe. Like the world they ended in, I think, is like yeah. a far worse film than having mm-hmm. just picked a path one way or the other. I- I am so fascinated what this movie and like what like a couple of like Gilroy's movies look like if they just are an hour and a half to two hours of people talking in rooms and then one sudden and distressing act of violence. Oh, like Ren. that is is that is that just I have Michael, the movie for you. Is that Michael Clayton? No, it's proof no? of life. Mm. A movie that Gilroy did not direct, but he did write the script for. Which is not a, it was not a very popular action movie because people thought it was going to be an action movie. It's Russell Crowe, it's Meg Ryan. Uh, he's a hostage negotiator, the world's greatest hostage negotiator, uh, trying to save her husband. And then everyone's like, what the fuck? Nothing happens for two hours. And it's like, because he's a negotiator. <laughs> and it's only like it's it's two hours of like, so let me tell you about how kidnapping insurance works. In in the part in these parts of the world, and how these companies make their money, and then what a K and R consultant, aka a ransom negotiator, let me tell you about what that job is. And then after like two hours of that, it's like, well, I guess the time for words is over. And then it turns into Metal Gear Solid, and then it's <laughs> <Yeah>. over. <laughs> okay, damn it. Yeah, like Can so. I turns over. <laughs> do you think so it's it's very like that movie kind of exists but i do think uh like i think, I think it's a point well taken like uh, gilroy's scripts not necessarily need all these action sequences and i think here the big one is what, what's been the big dramatic tension is can he get that drug and mm-hmm. once he gets the drug the central tension of the film is resolved and we have this chase sequence that's not related to that central tension no. but the the other big problem is because it's intended to be a series, uh, we get no 
Ah, Edward Norton coming from behind the curtain mm-hmm. to have the final encounter. And we uh, like I yearn for that. I yearn for that movie. You mean you mean like any closure? Like <laughs> and any? here's the thing is like even for all of its like interconnectedness and like kind of bullshit uh like shoehorning of like cameos most MCU movies have a full arc I feel like this one feels like you got like three quarters through an arc and then they're like well we ran out of runtime." <laughs> it feels like part one like like I, if I yeah, watched this and like, knew that part two was coming next fall maybe. like alright well that's fu- that's fine I understand why we yeah. end here and then they're gonna pick a destination and then Edward Norton is gonna be in like a big robot and they're gonna fight. Like it'll be. Did fine. everyone, everyone here see uh, the new Spider Verse movie? Not yet. No. no. Okay. No, never mind. But do you want to speak in I'm generalized terms? As opposed to it comes out in home theaters. <laughs> no. Okay. I'll, I'll say no more. All right. Oscar Isaac is Spider Verse outcome agent, and it turns out this is all part of the Spider Verse. Oh my god, that'd be amazing! I take it. Wait, he is is he? He's in that movie, isn't he? Yeah. You yeah. know who? No, you know who would be the most the most surprising outcome agent ever in an expanded series? Jake Johnson. I like Jake Johnson. <laughs> no, I amazing. do too. I'm I'm that fully here for it. A Jake yeah, Johnson yeah, yeah. character where like sort of a schlubby like move over Chris Pratt. I'm gonna watch Jake Johnson like merc people for three hours. Uh, well, uh, sorry, two hours fifteen minutes because the studio would cut it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like ultimately, I think this movie has is, like great in parts. Patrick, you alluded to that mm. middle that middle section. It feels like there's a great movie in the middle section. Yeah, that like Gilroy had crystal clear vision on. And it's bracketed by, all right, franchise shit. <laughs> but how do you sell a movie? I mean, like, Gilroy, yeah. you look at the arc of his career, just, you know, looking at IMDb, he ends up in Franchiseville um, uh, at this stage in his career. I mean, he worked in Blockbusters, uh, you know, like, he, he, my guess is he has probably made, for his, he has fewer credits than you would think, but my guess he has done a lot of what they call script doctoring, where you come in and you do a lot of work and it may not be credited necessarily as like story by, screenplay by. He seems like a guy who's probably made a lot of money helping punch up some like mediocre scripts. Even if that's not the case, like, there, how do you get these movies sold? What is the vehicle to get audiences ass in a seat? Because they don't really show up for movies like this anymore. Like, actually, like the, the Bourne movies themselves, in my reading about them and my collective memory of them, is sort of like surprising that they became a hit. It's like, uh oh, we made a franchise? Shit. Now, I know they're based on a book series that was long running with a bunch of installments, but it didn't seem like nobody gave the, a shit about that book series before that. Like, right. Yeah. And, the, and, that the, and the films were not set out to chart a course for a James Bond esque. Um, sort of let's keep returning to, to this character. And maybe that, you know, contributed to some of the tension. But Gilroy like, has a type, like, there are types of movies he likes to make. This is one of them. And then Bourne becomes a vehicle to deliver one of those. Andor becomes a vehicle to deliver one of those. Um, like, and he gets there from Star Wars, you know, Rogue One. Uh, and, like, it, he seems, for all his theater background... Like maybe a stick up his ass. He also seems to understand practically mm-hmm. the realities of he still likes these types of movies, knows there are audiences for them, but
but getting them sold and putting them in front of people is incredibly difficult. Um, and he, he will find ways to do that wherever he can, which is some of the, the tragedy of a, of a show like Andor, right? Which is that there's so many great things in there. And for some people, like the fact that it's Star Wars is going to be not a additive, but is a negative. Like, what, what do I want to watch this Star Wars spinoff show? And you're missing out on so much incredible stuff. And I think that's also kind of the what happens here is like there is a good original movie in here and it just happens to be shoved into a born movie. And I think it's much, much worse for the wear. This is, 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 is Tony Gilroy almost a like, and this maybe it's just because I'm seeing the like career Venn diagram here, but like the way we're talking about Tony Gilroy here and like the arc of his career reminds me a lot of like the place that Ryan Johnson appears to be like increasingly, heading towards where it's like dude who is very good at like a very particular kind of thing and is like really competent at it but exists in an industry that no longer facilitates that one kind of thing and like he's just good enough at other things that he can like he can he can successfully play the game and like put the stuff that he's interested in into these films while still playing the game so like it feels like that there is that there was a there was a career overlap between these these two guys and their respective arcs well especially being people who are writers and directors right like that yeah. is that mm-hmm. is that, that is rare to be able to work and you know johnson's a more prolific director than than gilroy but um and i don't know if that's by choice or opportunity um but nonetheless i think there is there's something about when you have those types of creatives that can function on both ends maybe that's how you end up with people that have such specific preferences over the types of movies um, they want to see on screen because they can visualize it from script to to film in a way that you know maybe you can't if you are more broadly just a screenwriter or just a director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think also there's there's an element of a lot of franchises they need names to lend themselves credibility as well. Like the franchise is important, mm-hmm. but also you need the ability to say, "But we've got so and so working on it. This is this is this is art we're working on over here." And the fun that I think what makes Andor so striking is that, oh, in this case, it actually turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whereas the minute they ran into some turbulence with like The Last Jedi, it was like, well, time to cut this loose. <laughs> Let, like, <laughs> Another uh, trilogy? Good, like, good uh, one on Twitter, Ryan. Uh, have well, fun. Uh, sorry, they did. They did. To be fair, they did cut Tony Gilroy loose for about five years because, like, <laughs> everyone did hate Solo. Not everyone, but like a lot, a lot enough people hated Solo for long enough that it was like, well, but Solo it, isn't him. So Solo is Ron Howard, uh, who mm-hmm. was sorry, also Rogue One. brought Rogue in. One. My bad, my bad. I meant Rogue One. I, Rogue I One made a shitload of money and was well liked. I, so I don't think that has anything to do with Disney's relationship with Gilroy. If well, anything, no, actually, he, I think it fixes his reputation because correct. Gareth Edwards was the director on that. Wait. Rogue and it went disastrously well. wrong. Pardon? Rogue One did what? Rogue, Rogue One did well? Like, box office Made a billion, boy. Then, that, that, that movie was, like, Holy huge. shit. Like, yeah, it did, it did really... It was, it was part of what just I felt justified like, their it idea. Was like, I don't know. It, it didn't feel like that uh, no, splashy. Like Rogue I don't know. Yeah, but Rogue yeah. One does really well, which is then, like, ends up greenlighting the... What was going to be... Uh, uh, the uh, Boba Fett film, which sort of became the Mandalorian, the television show. Uh, and anyway, we don't have to go that right. Well, no, he, he is. And Di- he, Disney allowed Gilroy to take the public image of the fixer, right? Like right. they appeared to really dislike where that movie was headed. Probably the second half. It seems like he kind of came in to fix, to write 
essentially redirect and help ship the the third act of of that film. It's so like I'm st- I still feel like I don't know the full story. Like nobody ever you would think there would be someone out there saying like, man, if only people could see Gareth Edwards version of that film. And you never visual. hear that. He's such a good visual. Like I and I what I can't tell is like because I, I do think that third act is pretty sick. Like I do. I broadly really like Rogue One. I think it is like Same. separate separate from however it was created. The, the product that's on the screen is awesome. And I think like one of the better movies in, in the modern Star Wars era. But yes, I am with you. Like, like Gareth Edwards, like we, you know, in much earlier version of Waypoint, like we covered Godzilla. Like I love that movie. Like all of his movies are so striking to look at. And I guess it wouldn't shock, but also like Godzilla is a, is a mess of a script, right? Like, so much of that movie <laughs> is astounding visuals. But I, yeah. I guess I'll just say like, I sort like, I'm there for the astounding visuals. And so as much as I like the third act of, of, of Rogue One on some level, I wonder, was I robbed of some sick space shot from Gareth Edwards because <laughs> they didn't like how they wrapped up the character arcs for, for, but either way, that movie rules. And so, and, and look, that movie, Andor doesn't happen without right. Gilroy, you know, and hopefully the fact that he, like, if we're going to have, if we're stuck in a world of franchises, not that I'm happy that someone like Gilroy, then, that's what they're spending the majority of their time doing, but they seem like they're making the best of it and making incredible work within it. And like, yeah, it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that concludes my turn. And on that theme of it could be worse, Patrick, <laughs> you have okay. next pick. Okay, okay. 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 Are you taking us to heaven or to hell? All right. Can I walk? So, Oh, bl- loving this podcast. I, I, I've been, you know, doing the IMDb hop, right? Like mm-hmm. clicking on names, seeing where that leads us, starting uh, at this movie. And I arrived at four choices. And I have not picked which one it is. So I just want to lay out the four that I kind of found, what the connective tissue is. And maybe we'll just, I'll just kind of gauge some of the red Rob is having a moment. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just letting, <laughs> so I'm creating, I'm creating like, the, I am uh, he's, he's, drawing he's, the curtain open on the theater of the mind. I was going to say, he's forming his mind palace. He's getting ready to wipe his hand across the screen a couple times. No, you're doing the thing. <laughs> you're, you're doing the thing, Kato. Natalie Natalie misuses mind palace on what? AMCA. What? Mind palace is a memory device. Yeah. But fucking, doesn't, isn't that what he calls it in Sherlock? So yes, he's using memory. a memories. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but he's moving all the words around. Well, that's, be, that's because that's because that's what they're bad. tied to the. Also, they're yeah, tied this to is the what memories. I'm saying. First season wait, was pretty good. Sorry, sorry. Wait, caught up. Uh-huh. The method of loci doesn't technically need to be a physical space. You can also do the method of loci with like any kind of like organizational system that you can visualize. Like sure. for example, like when I do the method of loci, it's a file system, and like I I I do flip through it. But like, I just it does want exist. Rob to move his hands in the air like he's thinking about things. All right, okay? Patrick. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I, I have four selections. Uh, first, I clicked on actor <laughs> Scott Glenn. He's doing. It. Who was in this? Um, and the movie I felt myself drawn to was 2008's Oliver Stone's W. A movie uh, chronicling uh, the life of George Bush, in which Scott Glenn plays. Uh, who does he play? He plays Donald Rumsfeld in that movie. I don't think he's any good. James Newton Howard does the music for *The Bourne Legacy*, a storied career in film. 
Uh, and a movie I have never seen, but always have kind of wanted to see, 1993's Joel Schumacher film, Falling Down. Rob's eyes are, are going big. <laughs> um, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to... Hold on, I'm going to drop these links in so everyone can see the, the choices we're, Sorry. we're pulling from. Sorry, Patrick, I have a question. Mm-hmm, yeah. You lost your shit. Uh-huh. When you saw one thing earlier, I did. I'm working my way up to that one. I'm, okay, we're, get, okay, we're getting okay, there. Okay, okay, um, okay. Thank um, you. Just want to make sure. We're and still then Rachel the Weiss, uh, wonderful actress, um, and uh, where I, I think me and a lot of other people had an early crush because of this woman. 1999's The Mummy. Brendan Fraser, classic, just an oh, all-time yeah. blockbuster banger. You know, just great, great movie from what, every, from what I recall. Every bisexual awakening that happened in that year uh, happened because of The Mummy. Look, everyone, <laughs> everyone's everyone horny because of The Mummy. Everyone was feasting. Like, Brendan <laughs> Fraser in that movie? Come on. <laughs> and then the last one, because we've talked so much about Tony Gilroy. And I have to admit, this is... This is the one where my heart oh my God. has been drawn <laughs> to is discovering that over the course of Tony Gilroy's career, he was one of the writers along Jonathan Hensley and J.J. Abrams on 1998's Armageddon by Michael Bay. <laughs> because I just, Rob, I don't want to miss a thing. And if I think my turn is going down with the ship, it might have to go down with an asteroid. Oh my god! Oh my god! Now we're gonna have to watch the music video. I don't wanna close. The Liv Tyler is in. Uh, that's not, I, I remember that being a classic. Cause then, cause then, the, cause then her father is singing to her, her in the music yeah. video. Yeah. Those are the four movies. We could have had I, falling down. We could have. This is the arc I went on, and I do. Fuck. I do think I, I think we're gonna have to watch Armageddon. I think um, I think that's gonna. Right. Wait, now Woo! what I'll say is that this movie does leave all those other options open, right? Like we have an audience pick coming up, um, in which we'll all be able to propose things. And Rob, you can you can put falling down there to be voted on by sixty five people and not win, um, um, as has been the case with our our oh. audience picks. The popular, the populist choice tends to to win out, and I don't know which one that will be. So, many ways, Rob, I'm taking my populist choice off the table because mm, Armageddon right. would have been one that I would have put on there, and I, I right. will, I will. Oh wow! And maybe, maybe, maybe we, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself, but maybe we can agree to like try and put a little chaos into that audience choice, which is like stray from the populist choice. Like make the audience have to do a little work mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. which one we choose, but I can't, I can't, I can't make the decision for people. But I can make the decision to make us before the series finale of my turn watch a little known Tony Gilroy film <laughs> called <laughs> Armageddon. <laughs> oh, spectacular! All right, well. <laughs> That's it for my turn. It's Patrick's turn turn next, and we're, yeah, we're we're going up to that asteroid because only one man in the world knows how to work a space drill. <laughs> Isn't there that really good clip? That's the problem. Is like, are we going like this movie? Maybe, I, maybe I, our this audience would be better served, but it's just like 
And here's Ben Affleck's commentary on the film. Enjoy, everybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Make sure we will, we will bring this up. That'll certainly be part of it. But read some of the Ben Aff- Ben Affleck Armageddon commentary, and you'll see some delightful uh, commentary about this film uh, after release. So, yep, there we go. I'm ready for my turn. All right. Uh, well, thanks Jesus. for discussing the movie uh, and and genuinely like giving it a shot. Like I'm, I'm thank yeah. you for like meeting the film on its terms, which are admittedly compromised, uh, and <laughs> and seeing seeing what's what's good there. Uh, and thanks, of course, to all the people supporting us uh, through Memberful. Uh, RemapRadio.com is where you can subscribe. Uh, our basic tier is basically the old Waypoint Plus feed, and it supports things like my turn. And then uh, there's also the foundation tier for $10 a month where new things will happen that are not my turn, but might be like my turn, The bear, but new and more expensive, but new. We're watching the bear. That's happening in a watching couple weeks. Watching the bear. Yeah, that premieres. Uh, yeah, that premieres uh, this week on Hulu. I think our plan for that will be to watch like the first two episodes yeah. and kind of weigh in on the season and then we'll. Give people, you know, a couple weeks to to watch the season. We'll wrap back around to to the season as a whole. But the early reviews are exceptionally good. It is supposed to be somehow funnier and more stressful, which I don't know how that's possible, but I am am excited to find out. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back with something on a premium feed very soon. I don't know what it what it will be, but just keep you know what? Just keep refreshing. Just wait till the good thing drops. Isn't Isn't it System Shock? Yeah, let's see if that happens. No, it'll happen. <laughs> oh, wow. It'll happen. Hey, uh, putting that energy into the pod. No, you're right. You're right. It'll one is the next one. Uh, look, that wasn't a shot at anyone. If anyone, it's a shot at me. Because, like, <laughs> there's a whole lot of system shock left to play. And mm-hmm. we got we to gotta get a move on. So we will... We will see how that goes. But yes, uh, the the ideal is that next week you will listen to the System Shock 101. Uh, But stay tuned to to see if it happens. But it probably will. But just let's see. That will do it for today's show. Talk to you next week, I hope. (laughs) 